Section 4 of The Blue Behemoth by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Chris Fong. All I could see was a green blur in the rain. I heard the crisp, wicked smacks of Jaren's tentacles on the tiger. It flopped over in midair, buried its face in the mud, and came up yowling, like your Aunt Minnie's cat when you stepped on its tail. It went away from there, fast, with its mate right behind it. Jaren chuckled softly. About the Kansons, he hissed. You had an idea. Somewhere, quite close to us, there was the familiar sound of a plastic shack going to pieces. I remembered hearing blasters rip occasionally, but only Melak's hoods were armed with anything heavy enough to do any good, and I guessed most of them had beat it to Beamish's yacht. A Kansan has a hell of a tough hide, and their vitality is something you wouldn't believe if you hadn't seen it. The familiar whistling screech went up, and the babble of human screams and the brute chorus from the rainy alleys. I think, right then, I began to get scared. The fear began to seep through my dopey palm, like pain in a new wound. I shuddered and said, No, no ideas. There was a soft step in the mud behind me. I spun around, sweating. Ara, the Nahali woman, stood there, red-eyed and laughing. You are frightened, she whispered. I didn't deny it. I can help you stop the Kensons. Her eyes glittered like wet rubies, and her teeth were white and sharp. It may not work, and you may die. Will you try it? She was daring me. She was hardly more human than the brutes themselves, and she belonged with the rain and the hot indigo night. I said, You don't want to help me, Ara. You want us to die. I could see the pale skin throbbing under her bony jaw. She laughed, soft alien laughter that made my back hair stir and prickle. You humans, she whispered, trampling and spoiling. The middle swamps have suffered you, greedy with oil and plumes and dye, but you we can fight. She jerked her round glistening head toward the sound of destruction. The death from the deep swamps, no. You deserve to die, you humans. You went meddling with something too big, even for your pride. But because the Kansans killed my mate and our first young. She hunched up. I thought she was going to flop on her belly, like a caiman in the mud. Her teeth gleamed, sharp and savage. Legend says the Kensons were once the wisest race on Venus. They were worshipped as gods by the little prehuman creatures of the swamp edges. They were going to be the reasoning lords of a planet. But nature made a mistake. Perhaps some mutation that couldn't be stopped. I don't know. Anyway, the females grew until their one thought was to find enough food. The males tried to balance this. Most of their strength was in their minds anyway, but they couldn't. The Kansans took to eating their worshippers. 
At the same time, the number of eggs they laid grew smaller and smaller. Finally, the swamp edgers drove them out, back into the deep swamps. They've been there ever since, going farther and farther on the path of evolution, dwindling in numbers, always hungry, and hating the humans who robbed them of their future. Even us they hate, because we go erect and have a speech. The females are not independent. The male controls the community mind. They must have unity to exist at all. If you could control the male... I thought of the little creature in the ball of green fire. I shivered, and the pit of my stomach pinched up. I said, yeah? How? She chuckled at me. It may mean death. Will you risk it? I didn't have to. I could beat it back to the ship, maybe even rescue some of the gang with Jaren's help. Then I thought about Bucky, and the way he cried down my neck that night in the tank, and what would happen to us if we didn't get the animals rounded up. I thought, oh hell, why does a guy ever do anything? I don't know. Maybe I thought I'd never get across the field to the ship anyhow. I said, Spill it, you she-snake. What do I do? Get Quern, she said, and went off through the hot rain, back into the plastic shack. The door slammed shut. Jaren and I were alone in the dark. I said, Will you help me? Of course. I looked down the street toward the landing field. I felt tired suddenly, gone in the knees and weak and sick to vomiting with fear. Here comes Gao, I said. He's got seven or eight guys with guns. Just keep the critters off us until we get through with the Kansans, and try not to kill any more than you can help. Good old Jig, thinking about money even then. Gao came up. We talked a minute, just the things that had to be said, and then I asked... Anybody have any idea where Quern might be? Yeah, said Gao slowly. He was in the gin mill next to the one we was in. Drunk. I heard him singing when I went by. I think the big apes wrecked it. We started off up the muddy street, more as though we'd been wound up to go somewhere and couldn't stop then like men with a purpose. The Cansons were close, awful close. You could hear them sucking and slopping in the muck. The rain fell straight down, almost solid, and the air was thick and hot. We did a lot of shouting. Some men came out of the shacks to join us, but nobody had seen Quern since the trouble started. We had trouble with the animals in the streets. The vapor snakes got one man, and an Ionian Haru poisoned one guy so bad he died the next day. We had to kill a couple of big babies that wouldn't scare off. And we found the gin mill. Gao was right. It was wrecked. And there were things scattered around amongst the splinters. I was glad it was dark. Well, I said, that's that. We'll just have to do what we can with the blasters. It wouldn't be much. We didn't carry any heavy artillery, and a canson is awfully hard to stop. Any of you guys want to scram, do it now. The rest of you, come on. I took a step. Something squirmed under my foot, squeaked, 
and began to curse in a voice like a caddy did's. My God, I said. It's Quern. I picked him up. His rubbery little body was slick with mud. He spat and hiccuffed and snarled. Of course it's Quern. Fine thing, leaving me in the mud like that. I might have drowned. He started cursing again in low Martian, which is his native tongue. He's a deerin from the sea-bottom pits of Shun. Somebody laughed. It sounded hysterical. The little lush. He don't even know what happened. And he didn't. The Kansans hadn't even seen him. He'd just been tromped into the mud and left there, unharmed. Gao caught his breath suddenly, and somebody whimpered. I looked up. I couldn't see much in the rain and the indigo dark, but I didn't have to see. I knew what was coming. A little vicious splotch of living green against the darkness, and underneath it four huge shadows trampling knee-deep in mud, making toward a plastic hut filled with human beings. I said softly, Quern, I never thought you were such a hell of a wonderful hypnotist. He twinged in my hands. His anger almost burned me. He started to speak, but I stopped him. Here's your chance to prove it, chum. See that little green light floating there? Well, go to it, Quern. And it had better be good, or it's curtains. For Naru and all of us. I walked over toward the Kansans, holding Quern in my hands. The brutes must have sensed us. They stopped and wheeled around. Quern shivered. He was beginning to understand things. He snarled. How do you expect me to do my act? No platform, nothing. You're crazy, Jig. Let's get out of here. I shook him. Put that baby to sleep. Make him and his harem go out of town, north. There's quicksand there. Go on, damn you. He cursed me. You could smell the fear rising hot from us all. I heard feet running behind me, and then more, going away. Quern said, All right, you crazy fool, raise me up. Hold your hands flat. I made a platform out of my palms, and the Kansans started our way. Gao whispered, Don't shoot. Don't anybody shoot. I don't think he knew then that there wasn't anybody left to shoot but himself and Jaren. The Kansans were huge and solid, behemoths carved from the night. They towered over us, and the green light pulsed. My jaw hung open, and I couldn't breathe, and I'd have run, only my joints were all water. Quern went into his act. He began to show color. Out of nothing his body started to glow, from inside. You could see the round, blurred shape of him, and the phosphorescence of his guts showing through. First red, savage as a punch in the face, and then all the rest of the spectrum. Sometimes one color, sometimes a swirl of them. His body changed shape. I could feel the queer, rubbery movement of it on my hands. I remembered the rubes I'd seen standing around Quern's platform their eyes drawn half out of their heads by the shifting lines and colors. It worked with them, but not here. The Kansans came on. The green light flared a little brighter, and that was all. Habit and control were so strong that not even the females paid much attention to Quern. 
I could see the rain smoking off their huge black shoulders. They were right on top of us. Quern gasped. I can't do it! His glow deadened. I shook him. I yelled. I knew you were a phony, you two-bit yenser! Jaren, slow him down, can't you? Quern began to shimmer again. Jaren faded in, hardly visible in the darkness. I heard his tentacles whiplashing across hard flesh. One of the Kansans screamed. The green light did a sharp dip and swirl. And I yelled, Gow, speak to Gertrude! The terrifying forward march slowed a little. Quern was churning colors out of his guts as though his life depended on it, which it did. Gow stepped forward a little. Gertrude, he said. Gertrude, you ugly, slab-sided, left-handed. He cursed her affectionately. I never heard anything like his voice. I wanted to cry. In Quern's faint hypnotic glow, I saw the green eyes of the nearest female watching, looking wide and queer. The male was angry now, angry and scared. You could tell by the vicious brightness of him. We decided afterward that his light was the same kind a glowworm carries around, only stronger. He was fighting, fighting to hold those four minds against the attraction of Quern's shifting glow. He'd have done it, too, if it hadn't been for Gao. Gao, standing in the hot rain and cursing Gertrude with tears in his voice. Gertrude screamed. Suddenly, for no reason, a strange, uncertain cry. She moved. A sort of shudder ran through the other three. It was a little like a wall cracking. The male burned savagely. The females were watching Quern now. Gertrude had made the breach. Now the community mind was fastened on the hypnotic little Martian. I could see their green eyes, wide and glassy, their snaky heads nodding a little, trying to follow the flowing outlines. The male began to dim. He shivered and lurched a couple of times, still trying to fight. Gao's voice went on, hoarsely, and Gertrude whimpered. The male floated a little closer. I could see, suddenly, what kept him up. Wings, like a hummingbird's, blurred with motion. They slowed, and the green light dimmed. He began to bob a little in the hot rain, watching Quern. Quern shivered. They're under, he sighed. They're under. Send them out. North, to the quicksands. My arms and shoulders ached, and I was swaying on my feet. I hardly heard Quern's thin, dreamy voice. I did hear the slow, obedient noise of their great feet slogging away, the last male Kansan, a dull green moat, above them. And I heard Gao crying. We got the last of the animals back by noon of the next day. We did what we could for Naru. Thank God our own beasts hadn't done much damage. We left a lot of Beamish's credits to help out, and took the old tub off away from there. Bucky Shannon recovered nicely. I'm still hurting his imperial washout around the triangle. We're not doing so hot without Gertrude, but what the hell, we're used to the sewage lock. And if anyone has a Kansan he wants to sell, 
Thanks, chum. But we're not in the market. Now or ever. I sometimes wonder if there are any more of them in the deep swamps, waiting for their mate to come back. End of the Blue Behemoth by Lee Brackett <laughs>